You know, Chuck said something about a, what do you say, a glitter beard? I'd like to say that he would only do that for our students, but I'm not sure that's true. Uh, <laughs> hey, this, this week, we're beginning a new series that we're calling Just Like. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at different characters in the Bible, and we're going to see how we are just like them. In other words, what's true of them is also true of us. And, and that can be very encouraging depending on who you're looking at. Or like the person we're going to look at this week, it can just kind of be a reality check for us. But uh, So we'll at least see what we're up against this week. But we're going to be looking at people like Rahab and Joshua and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Judas as we move toward Easter when we are reminded of how we're just like Jesus or how we are to be just like Jesus. So, hey, if this is your first time with us, uh, either here in the room or with us online, appreciate you joining us. My name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. And this morning, we are going to look at how we are just like Cain. And listen, uh, if Cain's not only the firstborn child, in case you don't know his story, you have to go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible. He's not only the firstborn child in Adam and Eve's family, he's actually the firstborn child in the world. And then Abel came along, and much of the attention was diverted. And in some cases, that can lead right up to jealousy and tension for years to come. And if you don't know the story, that kind of gives you an idea of where we are headed. As a matter of fact, when I was younger, you know, we heard this story growing up in Bible school. And when I meet two people at the same time, I have trouble remembering which one is which. I don't know if you do that or not. But then the Dixie Riddle Cups came out. And I learned how to remember which brother was which. The question on the Dixie Riddle Cup was, how long did Cain hate his brother? As long as he was able. <laughs> Listen, if you laugh at that, it's your fault when you get it again. Uh, I'm just saying. Now, that's just painful, and I don't like to hurt by myself. So, Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Let's check out their story. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept the flocks, and Cain worked the soil. I think it's interesting that children from the same parents can be so different. Cain grows up to tend a garden. Puts his, he likes to get his hands in the dirt. He likes to, uh, he likes to, to get dirty. He has a green thumb. And, and maybe, I wonder for how many of us, that that's, that's actually you. Some people just like to get down on their hands and knees. They like to work in the yard. They like to, to work in the flower garden. They, they like to grow vegetables. Some people know from a very young age, and they just love doing that. They, if they could, they would be a farmer. On the other hand, Abel takes care of the animals. He smells like animals. Sheep shearing is his thing. The sheep follow him around like he's the Pied Piper. And I wonder if you have someone in your house and the pets in your house do that with some, you, you're, you can picture it already. Some people are just animal people. But maybe you've noticed those differences. Same parents, same house, same environment, incredibly different individuals growing up. Someone said this, it's in the Uversion Bible apps on the notes there. Whoever said all men are created equal only had one child. So that was just, I want to make sure you caught this about Cain and Abel. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was angry and his face was downcast. Now, I don't know if you noticed this or not picked up on it. The first thing we find out about Cain and Abel is that individually... 
very different from each other. Relationally, the first thing we find out, Cain is angry. I want to make sure you understand why this is happening. This is not. This is not about God playing favors. This is not about God snubbing vegetarians or anything of that nature. In a nutshell, a little bit about what's going on caused the first sibling rivalry. You could say it happened in church. You could say it happened during the offering. Verses 3 and 4 give us some insight into what's going on. Look at what Cain brought. What did Cain bring? Some of the fruits. What did Abel bring? Fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. The best of the first. It was about the priority that they gave God in their life. Cain gave some of what he had. Abel gave the first and the best of what he had. You know, the Bible still talks about them all the way at the other end. So Genesis is the beginning of the Bible. All the way toward the end of the Bible, when John is writing his first letter, he writes this, we must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. In the book of Hebrews, it references Cain and Abel. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Abel's offering showed that God had the first priority in his life, and Cain's showed that God did not. And because of that, God was not pleased with Cain, and God was pleased with Abel, and Cain knew that. But rather than Cain feeling motivated, to kind of step it up and start doing the right thing, he just got mad. And he decided to get rid of the competition, very literally. There's this whole lesson there on worship and offerings that we're not going to get into this morning, except to say, and this may have something to do with you living, uh, living on mission, is that what I give back to God, so still for us today, this isn't just about them then, it's about us still today. What I give back to God shows the priority he has in my life. That's what, by the way, that's why we talk about tithing here. We're not going to talk about that this morning. But if you have any questions about that, I'd be glad to sit down with you. But, but I want to make sure I pointed that out. So the rest of the story. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You must rule over it. Listen, this is how you and I are just like Cain. Because sin is crouching at our doors, crouching at my door, crouching at your door. And it wants to have you. It wants to have me. We have to rule over it. And maybe you've wondered this. Maybe, you know, we get to something like this and you're going, is this devil thing? I mean, is Satan even real? Maybe you've asked yourself that question. Maybe you've talked to somebody else about that. You know, I was reading about a Christian lady who lived next door to an atheist, and every day she would pray, and the atheist guy could hear her praying, and he thought to himself, man, she's just so crazy. I can't believe this. Doesn't she know that there's no God? And many times while she was praying, he would overhear her, and he would go over and harass her and say, lady, why do you pray all the time? Don't you know there is no God? But she would just keep praying. One day she ran out of groceries, so she began praying. She was explaining her situation to God, and she thanked him in advance for what he would do. Well, that atheist overheard her, 
And he thought to himself, well, I'm going to show her. So he went to the grocery store, bought a whole bunch of groceries, took them to her house, dropped them off on her porch, and then kind of hid behind the bushes waiting for her. She opened the door, saw the groceries, began to praise God, jumping up and down and shouting. The atheist jumped out from behind the bushes and said, you crazy old lady, God didn't buy those groceries for you. I bought those groceries. She looked up at heaven and she said, God, I praise you. You provided me with groceries, but I didn't know you were going to make the devil pay for them. Uh, (laughs) Do you believe that Satan is real? Our spiritual enemy is mentioned 83 times in the Bible, 83 times. When Peter describes him, he compares him. He says in 1 Peter 5, 8, our adversary is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. When Jesus speaks about uh, Satan's intentions in uh, the gospel of John, he says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy And while the Bible doesn't describe him, it does give a description of him by the names that it ascribes to him. And so I put a list of those on the YouVersion Bible app in our notes there, and where you can find these names. But Satan, father of lies, prince of this world, accuser, tempter, murderer, wicked one, the power of darkness, the adversary, the enemy, the wicked one. All of that to just make sure you understand that Scripture treats our enemy as if he is real. But I want to make sure you get this. Satan is our enemy, not just someone else's. He's our enemy. In John chapter 12, it's just days before Jesus is crucified. And he says this about the devil. He says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. It's just days before his crucifixion. And he's telling his followers, in a few days, it's going to look like I lost. It's going to look like the enemy has won. But it will be Satan who has lost. You know, God's, the point God's word makes is that the devil is real and that he's out to destroy you. But at the cross and the empty tomb, Jesus overcame him. And so I want to make sure you understand he's not just our enemy. He's also our defeated enemy. And really that goes into this, back into the story of, of Cain and Abel. If he is our defeated enemy then why do I keep sinning? Why am I struggling with that still? If Jesus won at the cross and Satan is our, what kind of enemy is he? Defeated enemy. Why do I still have a problem with sin? Remember, just like Cain, sin is crouching at your door, my door, wants to have us. And so why is that? You know, Psalm 1 Uh, One, the very first psalm, gives us a glimpse of how Satan does it. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. And and by the way, so I'm going to share that with you because Satan is good at what he does. And here's how he does it. He starts by getting your attention. So James, at the other end of of the Bible in the New Testament, also says, he talks about this. He says, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. So I just want to make sure that you know Satan comes in to to your mind, through your thoughts, uh, through something that you like. Desires, which are normal and good, like eating and drinking and sleeping and sex and money. And he takes routine desires and he just tries to run away with those in your life. So here it is. You're scrolling Facebook. You're on TikTok. Walking the internet, if we can apply Psalm 1-1 to this. And there's this pop-up for porn. Listen, on the internet, you don't have to go to it. It will come to you. 
And you don't have to be online. You can be walking through the store, and there is a magazine with the annual swimsuit edition, and you pause. That word in James chapter 1 is a fishing term. It means bait. And someone has said this, I put it in the notes, Satan, like a good fisherman, baits his hook according to the appetite of his fish, which means that works for you. what works for you may not work for me. And what works for me, it may not work for you. But Satan has done whatever works for you, and he has your attention. The question is, what will you do? Because I can tell you what he's going to do. He'll get you to change your attitude. You're surfing the net. You're walking through a store. Have you sinned yet? Nope. You have not sinned yet. But what's the next step in this progression that Satan takes with us? The second word in Psalm 1 is stand. How do you know if Satan is beginning to get to you? You're browsing and you're walking and you see and then you stop and look at it. And you haven't touched anything yet. You're just standing there, right? What you, is it wrong to look at pornography? Okay, we know the answer to this, right? Is it wrong to look at pornography? Okay, in case you don't know the answer to that. It's wrong to look at pornography, all right? So, uh, so the question is, why did you stop? Why are you looking? You haven't picked it up yet, but what are you doing? Listen, I've noticed on Facebook, you don't have to click that video. If you're scrolling through Facebook and you just stop and don't move, that video will play in front of you, whether you touch it or not. What are you doing? You're thinking about it. What is Satan doing? He's changing your mind. James 1.14 again says you're being dragged away and you're enticed. First, he gets your attention, and then he changes your attitude, and then he gets you into action. Listen, here's the question. When does Satan have you? When has he got you hooked? Is it when you walk and see? Nope, but the bait's out there. Is it when you stand and kind of look at it and, 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 and begin to think about it? Not yet, but he's greased the slide. You're at the top of the slide, and man, that thing is greased up, and it is slippery. What is the word in Psalm 1? It's not when you're walking or when you're standing. What is it? When you're sitting. It's when you click the link. It's when you walk over and you pick up the magazine and you begin to thumb through it or you sit down with that magazine. Whatever it is, it doesn't have to be a magazine, it doesn't have to be pornography. Whatever it is, when you sit down with it, when does Satan typically dial your number? Listen, when are you at your weakest? Is it when you're all by yourself? Or is it when you're with a group? Or is there a specific group? Maybe you're at the church. Maybe you're at work. Maybe you're at the pool. Maybe he's going to strike you when you're stuck in traffic at 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon and all you're trying to do is get home. Or he'll, he'll come at you when your patience is paper thin. It's 2 a.m. and your infant is not sleeping for you. Might use a bikini on a beach or a pair of tight jeans. Might use a wink from a coworker or a glance from a church member. Might use a movie in your hotel on a business trip. But once he's got you there, look at what James says next. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And you know the process because you've been in it. It's got you there. I know the process because I've been in it. And it's gotten me there. We all have. You know, there's something that my preacher used to tell us when I was growing up, and I've never forgotten it. Satan is not for you, and God is not against you. 
Sometimes that's hard to remember. But Satan is never for you. God is never against you. So what do we do? Genesis says we have to rule over our enemy. So if we're going to master the enemy, what do we need to do? The Bible tells us we need to gear up. Paul would write about this in Ephesians chapter 6. Perhaps you're familiar with this picture. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when the enemy is coming for you, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel. That, that word, the word stand firm in verse 14, is assuming that we're going to win. If you're able to stand up to this thing, you will win. Paul's under house arrest, under Roman rule. Uh, and so as he writes this, the picture of a Roman soldier is fresh in his mind. That's because, and this is on the notes, Please check this out. The Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. And so when you go into battle, you better gear up with the right stuff. T-shirts and flip-flops will not make it on a battlefield. So I need to gear up and I need to pray up. I need to pray to, if I'm going to master the enemy, I have to pray. And it doesn't matter what kind of enemy you're facing. You call out to God, and you will not face the enemy by yourself. When Paul's writing to the church in Corinth in the first century, he tells them that no temptation that has overtaken you uh, uh, except for what's common to mankind. In other words, I realize you feel like you're alone in this. I realize you think you're the only... Look around the room. Nobody else in here struggles with this. Nobody online struggles with what I struggle with. And Paul says, that's not true. But it is a lie from Satan because he wants you to believe you're all by yourself. <laughs> you're the only one. You're, you're the sucker. You're the weakest one in the room. You're the weak link. You're worse than everybody else. And Paul is saying it's not true. What you struggle with, a lot of people are struggling with. And God is faithful. He's not going to be, he's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will provide a way of escape. There will be an exit door. There will be an off-ramp. There will be some way for you to get out from underneath this so that you can endure it. The trick is you have to take that exit. You have to walk out that door. You have to walk away from whatever it is. And 2 Chronicles were reminded that the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Listen, I just, what I want to make sure that you understand God wants to help you. He's not looking at you with disappointment. He's looking at, you, looking at you like a father looks at his child who's about to get stuck in a trap. And he wants to help you just like he wanted to help Cain. But Cain didn't want his help. So Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth, recognizing the reality that there's someone out there who wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. Not take your life, not, not if they can. 
if they can steal and kill and destroy you and leave you alive, all the better. You become a commercial for them. We need to understand our enemy's methods. It's not changed. He's not had to change them. They still work for him. And we have to gear up. We need to be wise. So catch this. It's in the notes. Please understand this. Just like Cain, I have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. Just like Cain, there will come a point of decision, and it's up to you at that point. I read about a group of people, uh, and on one side of the group stood Jesus, and on the other side of the group stood Satan, and separating them, kind of running through the crowd was a fence. And with that scene set, Jesus and Satan began calling to the people in the group, and one by one, some decided to go toward Jesus, and others decided to go toward Satan. And this kept going, and soon enough, Jesus had his people around him, and Satan had his people around him. But there was one guy who didn't join either group. He climbed up on top of that fence, and he just sat there. So Jesus and his folks left, and Satan and his folks left, and that guy's sitting there all by himself. And then Satan comes back in, and he looks like he's looking for something. And this guy says, did you, uh, did you lose something? He goes, I did. There you are. Come with me. And the guy said, no, 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 I didn't choose you. I sat on the fence. I didn't choose you or Jesus. And Satan said, I know, I own the fence. Listen, I tell you that because I want to make sure that you get. You cannot choose no choice. Not choosing Jesus is a choice. By not choosing him, you have by default chosen the enemy but you get to choose. You get to choose. You choose. I choose. We choose who we will follow. You know, when Paul would write to the early church in Rome, he said, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So today, as we remember and we see what God was doing in Cain's life when sin was crouched at his door, because just like Cain is crouching at ours as well, and just like Cain, sometimes we let it in. And so here's kind of the question. If you took a moment and thought back through this week very much, could you remember a time when you opened the door to sin and just let it into your life? It didn't break its way in. It didn't sneak in. You opened the door, and it came in. Because our communion time reminds us that just like he did with Cain, God demonstrates his love for us in this. He didn't wait for you to be a good enough boy or girl. He didn't wait for you to clean up your act. He didn't wait for you to get it all right. While we were still stuck in sin, Jesus died for us. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray, and then I'm just going to give a moment. I'll just have a moment of silence, and that's for you to talk to God before we take these emblems that remind us of Jesus' body and blood and share with him if there's been a moment this week where you've struggled, where you, where you, well, I mean, you blew it. You know you did the wrong thing. And by the way, I, you, please don't say anything out loud. I want you to talk to God silently. And please don't think you're going to surprise him. He's not going to go, you did what? He's not, he's not going to do that. He already knows. He's just waiting for you to talk to him about it. Because he wants to forgive you. But before he can forgive you, you have to confess that to him.
then he will forgive you. Cain would not come clean with God. But you and I can. So, I will pray, give you a moment to pray, and then I'll lead us in taking the emblems that remind us of Jesus' body and blood. Father, thank you for stories like that of Cain and Abel. Your word does not hold back. It does not paint this rosy picture that things are always going to go great. We're always going to make the right decisions because that's not reality. It never has been since the beginning of the world and the very first family, the very first set of brothers. That's never been true. And you knew that. And that's why you sent Jesus. So as we prepare to take these emblems that remind us, Jesus, of your body and blood, before we do that, we want to remind ourselves of the reality of the struggle with sin that we still face. That just like Cain, it is crouching at our door and it wants to have us. And just like Cain, we have to master it sometimes we master it beforehand and we're able to avoid it and at other times we have to come back around after we have failed and confess our sin to you so that you can strengthen us because the enemy's coming back he's not done with us he will come back so God help us and even right now we remember before you where we have struggled this week song or behind our Bible and pretend that we've got it all together. You already know that we don't. But this time when we come before you together is a reminder that we as a group still need you. So thank you. Thank you for walking with us when we do the right thing. Thank you for staying with us when we do the wrong thing. for forgiving us. And so now we take these emblems that remind us of how much you love us. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So we take the bread that reminds us of Jesus' body that was given for us on the cross. And the juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed for us on the cross that our sins might be forgiven. Jesus, help us as your followers, your disciples. We want to help other people see that you don't expect perfection, but what you expect, what you expect is faithfulness. Help us not to try to pretend to have it all together with those who don't know you because they know they don't have it all together. And they need to know that we're aware that we don't either. So, Father, help us not to pretend. Help us to gear up and face the enemy well. 
to count on you when we're in the battle, to count on you when we win the battle, and to count on you at those times when we lose the battle with sin. And help us to help our friends see you in the midst of all of that. And we pray this in your powerful, forgiving, loving name.